1: gone through five weeks. We've talked about Jesus as God, fully man, yet fully God. We looked at Jesus unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's merciful. We get what we don't deserve, grace and patience and kindness. We talked about Jesus as shepherd. He knows us, each one of us, and we hear his voice. We've also talked about the fact that Jesus is divisive. He asks us to pick up our cross and follow him. And not everyone will like that message. And today we're going to talk about Jesus as Savior. Before we get there, uh, you've heard maybe the richest part of these messages have come from among us. First from Paul, uh, next from Steve, as really he shared is deepest and dark, darkest hurt from Debbie challenging us to to read God's word regularly uh, from John and Bethany as they shared how they've come out of deep dark times and today we'd like you to hear from Keith Timms.
0: My name is Keith Timms and I have been changed. Growing up, I had a great home, great set of parents, married for over 40 years, Um, never wanted for anything, parents worked really hard, loving, supportive, Uh, we went to church on Sundays, we just, but just something was always missing that whole time. Uh, Growing up, you know, we never really wanted for anything. We had nice cars, we had a nice home, we had nice clothes, but something was still missing. Loving mother, loving father, uh, we just did everything together as a family. We vacationed together as a family. Um, But somehow through all of that, something was missing. Wasn't sure what it was. So as I got into high school, I began to Travel a path that was not desirable, not that a path that a parent would not want their kid to travel, Um, experimenting with alcohol, experimenting with drugs, in relationships that were toxic, um, hanging around with friends that were toxic, which I thought was almost like another family to me, but all through this, there was a pain, there was a sorrow, something was missing. So, as I grew older and kept in those toxic relationships, toxic situations, uh, I became addicted to alcohol. I became an alcoholic. So as I went through life and jobs that I had, one of the jobs I had was condoning of drinking of alcohol with guests and with staff. So through that, the alcoholism just grew and grew and grew. As that situation became to get worse, I just kept digging a deeper and deeper and deeper hole. That led to obviously issues with law enforcement, issues with going to jail issues with being locked up for DUI not once but twice and unsurmountable amount of legal fees so that led to even more situations that were unfavorable but all through this I felt nothing was wrong I felt that was just a bad situation but the whole time something was missing so to speed it up working at the job I was working at that's where I met my wife Amanda she started working there as well. Our relationship was not very good at the beginning um, off and on off and on which was pretty much fault of my own, not hers. Um, I met this guy a good friend of mine he helped me out with certain situations asked me to be his roommate and he knew Amanda and he was talking about how you know certain situations you need to adjust in your life and that sort of thing and I just shrugged it off so one day he comes to me and says you know come on we're going for a ride well unbeknownst to me it was to go see Amanda and to kind of fix that relationship between her and I. So her and I talked, We our relationship grew, she laid ground rules, but in the background, the alcohol was still there, the alcoholism was still there, the drinking was still there, the hanging out with the wrong crowd was still there. So, as time goes on, we get married, we you know we have jake still working at the same job still consuming alcohol still trying to hide it from her and then finally just hit boiling point of we something i need to change what about me do i need to change so one of the things is to get away from that situation so i quit that job to go work at another job well that job just turned into a different form of addiction which was work and money so we did that for a while um, that kept me away from the alcohol but it also the new job kept me away from her and the kids so what's worse the alcoholism or working so much that you're not there with your family so finally her and i had a talk and we just said something has to change something has got to change in this relationship or it's just not going to work i wasn't a father to my boys i wasn't a husband to my wife all i was was a financial supporter to them i was not there to support them so fast forward we got it. I got a job in East Tennessee, which removed me from all those situations. But something was still missing. I was still looking to go down the wide road, I was not looking to go down the narrow road. So, Amanda and I looked at each other and was like, You know, why are we here? What have we done? Well, as we began to meet people, little fires started to burn of and one of the questions a lot of the people that lived here that we met they always asked us where do you go to church what church are you going to and we we didn't go to church we didn't have that in our lives when we lived in florida so we met this couple and they were like why don't you come to church with us so we went to church with them and there was just something about it there that hit me that just said, this is where you belong. This is where you need to be. But I didn't know how to grow. I didn't know how to ask the right questions. I did not know what path or how to get to that path that where Christ feeds me, where Christ has changed me. So as we still go along in this church, we meet this other couple. And they were their situation is teaching scripture to high school, middle school kids. And they were like, Why don't you come to this camp? And I said, I'm not going I'm not going to this camp. Cause to me, to be a Christian was you had to follow these rules you have to walk this path you have to be this way you have no fun nothing nothing is fun about it and i was like i'm not going to this camp well i went to the camp (laughs) so when i went to the camp i saw something in me was like look at all the fun these people are having look at all the fun these kids are having Look at their parents. Look at the joy. How do I get that joy? How do I receive that gift? So, as time grew on, we got involved with Young Life and helping with them and helping with the ministry and helping teaching high school kids and middle school kids of how to come to faith. And this has taught me now to where I see kids who do turn to alcohol or who do turn to drugs or do turn to situations that isn't favorable it's the easy road it's the wide road it's the road that just leads to heartache to trouble to burdens whereas you can take the narrow road but there's troubles and there's burdens on that road but with that road Christ is with us Christ is in us and the way that this has changed me and changed the person I am the man that I am the husband I am the father I am is Christ leads me Christ leads our family Christ leads our children and with that there are burdens but not the burdens of the wide road this is my story And this is how Christ has changed.
1: Well, what else do we need to hear? (laughs) Well, we are going to spend some time in God's Word this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 4. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, and we won't actually have time to read every word of each of them. I hope you'll find some time. They're on the notes. Uh, In the app, and we're going to show you many of them, but maybe you'll take some time this week to study a little further on your own. Uh, Thanks be to God that we can open His Word, which is true and speaks to our hearts over and over again. It's been new to me even these last couple of weeks looking in at this story that for Christians is quite familiar uh, with. Samaritan woman at the well. Before we get there, I just want to share a little bit of a story with you about a young man named Jack. Well, well, Jack was a young man who grew up in a Christian home, but he began to doubt God pretty early in his life as his prayers went unanswered and his mother died while he was very young. By the time Jack was 16 uh, or 15, rather, he openly denied there was a God. Well, by the time Jack was eighteen, he actually wrote these words. I believe in no religion. There's absolutely no proof for any of them. He goes on to say just call them merely man's own invention. Well his belief or non belief, you might say, actually grew stronger as he went off to college then joined the army, and it was there that he really was confronted with the horrors and cruelties of war. He was injured while many of his companions around him died from a shell blast. Afterwards, he went off to Oxford, (laughs) graduated top of his class, uh, and was further convinced that religion was really just a crutch for the uneducated and unnecessary for the educated men and women around him. But his search somehow continued, later on at 31, relentlessly researching uh, all of the things that he thought he was looking for, and now finding new friends, Jack began to believe, in fact, there is a God. A few weeks after that, he came to the reality that Jesus was the most truthful thing he had ever encountered, and he gave his life to Christ he later recalled that in all of his searches to prove there was no god that he in fact became a most the world's most reluctant convert uh, you might know jack as cs lewis probably the most uh, popular prolific uh, um philosopher in the 20th century he wrote the books chronicle of narnia and mere christianity probably among the most uh, well-read books in Christian literature today. Well, if Jack was so convinced there was no God, what was he searching for? Why did he continue his search? Well, Augustine, uh, one of our church fathers, wrote these words somewhat explaining Jack's search. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. Paul says it a little bit more succinctly in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's turn to chapter 4 of the book of John, but if you don't mind, let's just start in prayer. Father, your word is good, and it's true, and you've brought us here today to open your word and to hear from it, and so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes and to open our ears that we might hear from you and discover new things, that can come only from you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's a long passage. Let's read from John chapter 4, starting with verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone in town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, called Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man Really is the savior of the world. Well, Jesus, unlike most of the Jews, didn't mind walking through Samaria. He wasn't going to waste his time walking around the River Jordan just to avoid the hated Samaritans. You see, he actually had a plan, He, he, he was intentional about where he was going. He had an appointment, a divine appointment with a woman at the well. She, on the other hand, had other plans. She wasn't planning to meet anyone. She had an empty jar that needed filling with water. But you might also say she was searching for more, for love, for acceptance, for a comforter of some kind or another. She'd been married five times, and she was now on at least her sixth lover. She was looking for something. But you can also see from the conversation she was anything but cordial to Jesus. She had no intention of giving Him water, and she challenged all the points He was making. She pushed back against Him. She wasn't about to accept the words that He had coming from a Jew, until he revealed himself to her as Messiah. At that point, there was no turning back. He repeated the name of God in Exodus chapter 3. I am who I say I am. And with those words, the lights came on. Well, C.S. Lewis later wrote, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical conclusion is that I was made for another world. Lewis knew what it was like to want more. Well, what about you? Are, are, are you searching for more? Why was Keith continuing to search? But he was. Well, there is more. This isn't exactly, or I would say just, a religious concept. Simon Sinek's making millions speaking and writing on the topic of why. He says that great businesses have to determine their purpose. And when they do, they're most successful. And he says for you and me that we need to find our purpose. Start to find your why and work towards your purpose. Everyone can change the world for the better. Well, Cynic's making a lot of money off what many great business people knew long ago. But the scriptures wrote about thousands of years ago. Isaiah 46. My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God has a purpose, and he's given you a purpose. But we're looking for more than just a purpose, aren't we? We're looking for something far deeper. We're actually looking for a Savior. I found that there are really four areas in which you and I are desperately looking for something to fill our need. Maybe some of you here, and I know there are some of you here who are looking for a healer, someone to meet your physical needs, to heal you from disease. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's mental. We all struggle with those things, some very deeply. And if you're struggling that way, you're desperate for, for a leaf. Maybe you found it in medicine or the medical profession. Thank God for those. But what would it mean for you to be healed from all of your diseases forever? Well, maybe you need a defender. Someone to protect you. Someone to take away the harm that's been done to you. Some of you have been abused by parents or friends or relatives, and that hurt can go deep and create an emptiness inside of you that you need someone, something to fill. You need a defender. Well, many of you have loneliness that's screaming inside of you. You need someone to care for you, someone to love you. Who is that someone for you? It's just as hurtful as anything else. Maybe you just need the presence of a child. But for you, until your need for love is full, you'll forever feel empty. Well, of course, many of you lead lives with very, very little. Maybe you hunger. Maybe a lack of clothing or shelter. But without it, you feel like you have to have more. Your your poverty may well be someone else's wealthy life, but still you just feel like you have to have more to lead a full life. It could just be named something else for you, knowledge or happiness or meaning or purpose, but without whatever it is you're searching, you don't feel like you have enough. And it leads you to desire a savior. Well, Romans tells us that every empty thing that has been placed inside of us is by God to lead us to him. Consider this paradox. The very thing you despise, you avoid, you hate, is the very thing God is using to draw you to Himself. Romans 3 tells us, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who's been given to us? The woman at the well discovered that the very man who knew everything about her still loved her. And that's the hope that was worth far more than anything else she'd ever been searching for before. She brought an empty jar to the well, she left it at Jesus' feet. So what did you bring here this morning? What empty vessel did you bring here this morning? It doesn't really matter. Your Heavenly Father's using it to bring you to Him. Think of it like looking down on a lazy river. From a distance, it just looks still, doesn't it? But as you get a little bit closer, you might notice a a leaf or a twig being gently but relentlessly pulled by the current of the river. The Holy Spirit is doing that in in your life. The master of the river is pulling you along, pulling you to him. Like Keith or Debbie or Paul or Rick. Rick. He's pulling you to Himself. He has a plan. Like the people of Samaria, the Holy Spirit was revealing uh, Jesus as Messiah to them long before they saw Him. And they repeated <laughs> the villagers when they came to know Him. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. The Holy Spirit had been preparing them long before he got there. I was a young Christian in my 20s and I was pretty sure I could do anything for Christ. And so I decided to start my own business for God's glory. I don't. No, I don't know about you, but if you want to actually learn something about yourself, go start your own business. That'll, that'll wake you up, right, Bill? Pretty quickly about what you know and, and so much of what you don't. Um, I can't even begin to, to uh, number all of my failures in that. Um, but what's most true is the way that I uh, failed and how I treated my employees, how I treated my customers, my family, And frankly, most of all, how I treated my wife. I I, I turned to Jesus not for material redemption, but for healing from the wounds that I had caused others and had experienced myself. You see, he's not just trying to save us from temporal ruin, but from eternal ruin. You know, we're struggling for something, trying to find something, not because we need a healer, a provider, a lover, uh, or a defender, but because we know the depth of our own sin and that we have to deal with that sin. Romans 3 tells us, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Not even one. The scriptures, of course, point out our sin more, but they point out something more powerful, and that's the love of our Heavenly Father. This might come as a surprise to you, but... We're not sinful because we're disobedient. We're disobedient because we're sinful. And our sin comes from the very beginning. You remember in Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we were made in God's image. Well, what does that mean? It means that we long for something we can't find here on this earth. We long for eternity. The essence of being made in God's image is to yearn to be like him, with him. But we exchange our desire to be with God for a desire to be God. You see, we want to be God in our souls until our souls become new in him. We want to be fully complete in ourselves, not needy. We want to be complete without His interference. We deny God, not because we don't believe in Him, but because we don't like Him. Who do we like? Well, we're our favorite God. Another well-known Christian writer, G.K. Chesterton, said, when a man stops believing in God, he doesn't then believe in nothing. He believes in anything. And we see that alive and work around us Almost every day, right? People around us are not, not searching. They're constantly searching for something to fill their need. And they believe some temporal something will do that. Hollywood's made a living. <laughs> billions of dollars off of designing characters that we want to be like. I think my wife would probably like to be Scarlett O'Hara. in beautiful flowing dresses and going to fun balls you know i want to be like mel gibson as uh william wallace i want to i want to grab the oppressed and motivate them into battle and lead them into victory uh frankly they just don't want to be on the torture table at the end of the show <laughs> um but you know uh americans and even around the world worship something else these days called superheroes you know there's there's Superman and Superwoman and the Avenger and Captain Marvel. Sorry, Joel, no offense. On uh, <laughs> the and today we have the Eternals. You see the the cat's out of the bag. What we're really looking for in superheroes is we want to be like them. Eternal Superman never dies. Why? Well, for one, he's a cartoon. But for two. We can't just use any substitute for what God has planted inside of us to want to be with Him forever. We'll be in empty until that time comes. But you know, even the marketing geniuses are are, are in on the secret. Apple tells us if we just spend a thousand bucks, we can have superpowers too. I do confess, I I, I have a I have a, a favorite. Superhero um, oh, we missed him. uh you see the superhero thing starts at a young age, doesn't it? But it actually's reflected that even even as young children, we think we want more, we want to be someone else. Chesterson also wrote. Certain new theologians dispute original sin, which is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. We know we're sinful. We know there's sin around us, and we're trying to find something to alleviate the pain. And while Chesterton was a thoughtful apologist, he knew there was more that could be proved. He was trying to make a point. Our sinfulness is clear to us. It's easy to prove, but so is the love of the Father. Psalm 103 reminds us that as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward those who fear him. <clears throat> He's removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. But there's more. How did he do that? In that while we were still powerless, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. That we might live forever with Him. So who is the Savior? Well, the scriptures tell us that only God Himself can be our Savior. Isaiah, and then in, in Hosea 13.4, you shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. How is it that God saved us? Well, it can only happen if Jesus was God himself. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus said he was. Ego me, He repeated the words in Exodus, blasphemous according to the Pharisees, that he would be so vile as to claim to be God himself. Jesus said in, uh, both to the Pharisees and then to his disciples directly in John 14, that well, don't believe just my words, believe the evidence. Well, what's the evidence for you and me? Are you aware that more than 400 prophecies are fulfilled by Jesus? You know, the last scriptures that were written were almost 500 years prior to Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Well, I won't repeat 400 uh, messianic prophecies to you, and I'll let you see these on the board. And in your notes, by the way, are scriptural references for all of these, but just say the word and I'll gladly send you all 400 uh, any of you here? I uh, don't raise your hands, but um, play the play the lottery. Well, I don't know if you know, but if uh, if you do, the Mega Millions, it, you've got one in three hundred million chances of your dollar or two dollars, whatever it is, <laughs> paying off. Uh, you got a much better ch- chance, kids. Uh, if you want to be president one day, you've got one in thirty-two million chances of being president. Uh, unfortunately for all of us, however, there's a much better chance you or I might get injured on a pogo stick. Um, what, about, what about a man fulfilling just eight of these 400 prophecies? Well, uh, a, a group of 600 math students uh, did the math. To just fulfill eight of the, of the 400 prophecies is a chance of 10 to the 17th power. That would be a 1 with 17 zeros behind it. What what if we went to 40? What if we said, what's the chance of fulfilling 40 prophecies? That would be a 1 with 57 zeros behind it. Would somebody like to give a shot at pronouncing that (laughs) number? I have no idea, but there are not enough people who have ever been born to fulfill that prophecy unless it was God in the flesh. And that's who he was. Well, when I came to know Christ at 16, people were quite surprised. I can tell you that and ask me and I'll share that story with you sometime, but. Uh, the reactions went from, uh, uh, utter stupor to just rolling of the eyes when I went to my 40th high school, uh, anniversary, though, you'd be surprised at the people that came up to me and said, are you still religious? But you know, what really impacted me were the, the people that came up and said, I now claim Jesus as Lord too. And, uh, our reunion will be forever. In his presence. Well, what brought you here today? That current's been drawing you here. Maybe a long time ago you came to know Christ, but you, frankly, like me, have become at times pretty complacent, pretty satisfied, pretty good. There's more. Maybe you're here today and you know you've never really given your life to Christ. Why not today? He's been drawing you to himself. You heard Keith's testimony. Why did he end up in Kingsport? How did he get here? The Holy Spirit's been drawing him to you, friends who reached out to him. But you didn't reach out to him just because. You reached out to him because God was bringing him here and bringing him here to you that you might speak to him and share the gospel with him that you might be changed too. Well, the Samaritan woman came to the well, jar in hand, and she left it at Jesus' feet. Jesus is presenting himself to you now more than a healer, more than a provider, more than a defender, more than the lover of your very soul. He's here as your savior, your savior from your sin because you and I have this emptiness that can't be fulfilled without him. That's who he is, the savior of the world. And he's come to change you and me. And even now, those of us who've known him know there's more. Well, in a few minutes, MK is going to come up here and, and we're going to sing a final song. You, you've been listening today, certainly, <laughs> um, but maybe over the last five weeks, maybe something during that time, someone has urged you in your heart to say, I, I want more maybe during that time you've recognized that you don't know Him as Savior and you've given your life to Him. If not, why not this morning? Well, we want to just share the journey with you. And so this morning, uh, as MK (laughs) leads us in this final song, um, just spend some time in prayer. Think about what God is calling you to. And if you're willing, uh, Joel and Heather are going to be over by the baptismal. My wife Sheree and I will be up here. Bill White will be over by the cross. Well, would you come by and just tell us? You want more? Maybe you'd just like to pray with us. Maybe you just like to say those words and walk on. Or, or maybe you just like to share a smile. We're, we're on this journey together, all of us. If you've decided now's the time to give your life to Christ, come share it with us. You've seen in all our testimonies, we're just like you. We're desperately in need of a Savior. And here He is, waiting for you. After the music's over, we'll dismiss. You can stay and pray or or share quietly or uh, quietly leave, but... The season we're coming into is to recognize and appreciate the newborn King. I hope you'll do that anew this year
0: thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you were challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person. If you live in the Tri-Cities area, we meet on Sunday mornings at nine and 10:45 AM at one fellowship point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.